0: Welcome to episode 385 of the 200 Churches Podcast.
1: If you will get a group of people together and challenge them to make disciples together, what they're going to start doing is they're going to bump into some opposition, they're going to bump into questions, and it's going to force them back into God's Word to search for answers. It's going to force them to their knees to pray and cry out to God. It's going to force them into greater fellowship with one another. And so it's actually the thing that accelerates personal growth and health. When we stop having just the inward focus, if you focus on growth internally, you may get Christian education, but you're not gonna get much more. But if you focus on outward, let's make disciples together, you're gonna get both. You're gonna get growth and faith and vision and health as people journey on that together. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement
0: for pastors of small churches. Now, here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world, good friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Katie. I'm here in the opulent and luxurious 200 Churches Podcast sound studio and World Headquarters, to talk to you this week without my good friend, Johnny. Johnny, oh Johnny, wherefore art thou, Johnny? I don't know. He's busy this week. And we could not connect this week, but we have got the best podcast episode for you today. If you listen to the Coaching for Pastors podcast, then you may have heard on Weekend Edition number 10, Bob McNabb from LaunchGlobal.org. And if you have, you can skip this episode. Or if you really liked it, you can listen to it again because I'll tell you what, and I say this all the time, when I listen several times, I always learn new things, almost every time. But then again, my brain isn't as sharp as some of yours are. So that's what I have to do. But Bob McNabb is with LaunchGlobal.org and Spiritual Multiplication. And Bob has written a book called Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World, Why Some Disciple Makers Reproduce When Others Fail. Have you ever wondered why do some people who make disciples make a lot of disciples and it seems to happen a lot and they seem to bear a lot of fruit and yet others don't? Bob really wondered about this when he was involved in a college ministry and he saw Kids making disciples over and over and over, even while they were in college, to the fifth generation of their disciples making other disciples who made other disciples, etc. And he wondered when they left college, why did that drop off? And you may think that you know the reason why, and Bob kind of thought he did, but he did extensive research. And basically, Bob teaches us the secret to spiritual multiplication in our churches this secret is so simple that it's hard to believe that you know we all hadn't just understood it before but Bob did an awful lot of research to figure this out. So this is going to be great when you listen to it. Now, if you don't listen to the Coaching for Pastors podcast, let me encourage you, search on your podcast app, Coaching for Pastors. If you need to put my name, Jeff Katie, in there, it will pop right up. You can subscribe because every Saturday— I have what I call the weekend edition, and I have a ministry expert on, and we just talk shop. And what we try to do is coach pastors, and I draw stuff out of these uh, ministry experts, and it's just been fantastic. I have really enjoyed it. And then on Monday through Friday, I provide about a 7- to 10-minute episode each day, Monday through Friday. And I've just been having a blast doing it. I've been growing, I've been learning, and I've been loving connecting with pastors. So Coaching for Pastors podcast, check it out if you haven't already. But here's our episode with Bob McNabb. Bob McNabb, I want to welcome you to the 200 Churches podcast. This is the first time you and I have had a conversation, so I like that because I don't know anything for the most part. So I get to ask you a lot of questions. So welcome. Introduce Great. yourself and then tell us a little bit about your family.
1: Good, good. Yeah, Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm the father of three daughters, which is uh, a lot of fun, nice. and a granddaughter. Man, my wife of 34 years, what a privilege to be married to Susan. And so I don't, wouldn't know what to do with sons, but uh, we're having a good time <laughs> with, I'm, I'm, I tell people I'm the minority in the sorority. and uh,
0: Nice, nice. Uh,
1: yeah, it's been our privilege to, uh, when we first got married, we served with a campus ministry for 15 years, and uh, 10 of those were uh, overseas, uh, working among a, a unreached people group and doing campus ministry and church planting. And hmm. uh, after 10 years of that, we felt like the Lord was uh, calling us back to Uh, train other people to go and do the same thing. We feel like we had learned a lot and uh, made a lot of mistakes and didn't want to see other people make those same mistakes. And and honestly, uh, Jeff, we were living every day among unreached peoples who had never heard about Christ, and that broke our heart, that there weren't more laborers serving among Mm. them. And so we felt like, man, if we could help local churches in the States— effectively make disciples who make disciples and see some of those sent to unreached people groups, man, wouldn't that be a blessing, uh, you know, to a way to spend the rest of our lives. And so that's what we've been doing over the last 20-something years, and uh, that's what we do today.
0: Well, it was last fall, Bob, when a denominational leader referred me to your book, Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World. And along with it there's a study guide and i got a group of people together well after after reading it after having my elders read through it and we had a lot of discussion around it in the first of the year 2022 i put a group of 8 of us together we worked through the study guide which of course also has you read through the i call it the textbook right sure. your uh, your actual book and it it was uh it was really really challenging and it was very focused it's it's a very focused book and you have got very definite and strong convictions about discipleship and so i naturally being a podcaster i reached out to you and i said hey it'd be great great to talk about this because uh, you know i've been in ministry for 35 years and so it's been in my 35th year maybe 36th year that I read this book and wish that I had read it 35 years ago. Honestly, I really do. You know, you hear that about books, but I'm being totally honest when I say that. So uh, talk to me a little bit, because even as you were talking about being uh, overseas and what you saw there and how your heart was moved, I, I could already feel it a little bit having read having read your book. Talk to us about this book, Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World Why Some Disciple Makers Reproduce When Others Fail. When did you decide to write it? Not necessarily what year, but like what happened that you decided I got to put this stuff down in text format?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. This is really a passion uh, of mine because, you know, we are commanded to make disciples and, and, we're promised in the scriptures that if we're faithful and we give ourselves to that, that, um, God will show up and, and help us make disciples who make disciples. And sometimes that happens 30 fold, sometimes 60, sometimes 100. You know, that's not the important part. The important part is that we're faithful and trusting Him and walking and doing it. But, but th- but shooting for multiplication, not just one here and one there and then when we die the ministry dies you know mm-hmm. uh, i believe that god wants us to have a ministry where we are like pauls telling timothy in 2 timothy 22 that you know find faithful men who will be faithful to teach others who will pass it along so it won't die when you die and so not only can our ministries be exponentially growing through multiplication, but they can also endure long after we're gone. And so that's been a heartbeat of ours for years, but it's also been a point of uh, sadness and disappointment when Hmm. we have poured our heart into uh, making disciples with people and seen them be initially really successful, really fruitful. I think particularly of uh, our time when we were on the college campus and we saw people come to Christ and we discipled them and they discipled others who discipled others. And you'd see third and fourth, even sometimes even fifth generation spiritual disciples made on the college campus. And then people graduate.
0: <laughs> and mm, yeah. it
1: seems like too often the spiritual multiplication would come to a screeching halt. You know, that's disappointing for someone who is making disciples on a college campus and has the dream that, hey, if, if we invest three or four years into some people here while they're on the college campus, they'll go spend the next 30 or 40 years multiplying yeah. out in the real world. Hmm. But then when you see oftentimes once they get out in the real world, it doesn't happen like it did on the campus, that uh, that's disturbing. And so that's kind of the background of the book and the research that went into the book. It was asking this question, why is it that these uh, disciples were fruitful while they were here on the college campus, and then they get out in the real world, if we call it that, and it stops? Uh, Why is that? Uh, What's behind that? Is the college campus just this unrealistic bubble that things are easier Mm -hmm. and then you get out in the real world and and real life happens and it's just not possible. Is that it? And honestly, we wrestled with that question for a number of years, uh, just asking, you know, what is it? And we tried to improve our training when we were involved with college students. We tried to say, well, what if we train them better while they're on the campus? Maybe they'll do better when they're out there. And what if we coach them better? Uh, Maybe that'll help. And you know what? It didn't make that big of a difference. That sends you back to the whiteboard. That sends you back to thinking and asking the Lord, uh, what's going on here? And as a result of that, we started looking around the world for evidence that it was actually possible for someone who's 30 or 40, has a wife and two or three kids or a husband and a few kids to, to actually regularly share their faith see people come to Christ, disciple them to the point that they're making disciples who make disciples. Is that even possible? Thankfully, we found some examples of uh, pockets of places, churches, that were successfully helping their members make disciples in that way. And that gave us hope. (laughs) So then then the the next step was, what are they doing different? What's going on there? And what are the factors? And that led into a a study of a quantitative study of close or oh, actually over five hundred disciple makers and looking at those who are non effective, effective, and highly effective, and what's the difference between their behaviors and what's the difference between the contexts that they are in, and searching for an answer
0: before you tell us the answer, Bob. Well, number one, is there are there some answers? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and. The, it's, okay. I was
1: surprised by what the research showed us.
0: Okay, so be, before you say that, we'll, we leave our listeners hanging a little bit. I just want to mention again, you're, you're listening, you're the pastor of a local church, you're probably the pastor of an ordinary, average-sized church, and now, especially after COVID, you're probably the pastor of a little bit of a smaller church. And what Bob is going to share, just remember, what, when you shoot for Something you'll get something. You might not get what you shot for, but you're going to get more than what you would have gotten if you didn't shoot for anything. So any kind of a goal, any kind of forward progress is really good. And when as I read through your book, Bob, I I read through it and I said to myself, "Okay, I may not see these numbers in my practice, but five times what I'm seeing right now is going to be better." than nothing, right, than, than just what I continue to see. So so as you listen to Bob, I just want you to know that this isn't one of those things where, you know, we started our church, and four years later, you know, we've got 10,000 people on 18 campuses. This isn't one of those things. This is actually something that you can you can be hopeful. You can be hopeful, and you also can get the book and the workbook, and you can go through it with a group in your church, and you could take a step further. So now, with, with having said that, Bob, just let us know, what did you find? What kind of evidence did you find? What kind of research did you uncover?
1: Yeah, sure. And just let me give a word of encouragement to anyone that's out there. I I think back to 1982. I'd been discipled in 1981 and 82 as a freshman in college, and 82 began uh, trying to pass along what had been entrusted with me the the year before. And I remember uh, challenging four young men into a discipleship group, and I successfully multiplied that down to one <laughs> before the year was over. So, uh, I've had my share of failures along the way and just don't let that discourage you, uh, as you, as you put your hand toward it, learn from it, ask the Lord to show you and, and keep pressing forward and asking him to do what only he can do. Right. Mm. We cannot produce the fruit. Only God can. And so, um, but, but we can learn. We can learn from the Word. We can learn from other believers and from ourselves and even from uh, just research. And so what we, hmm. what we found out as we asked these different questions was that some things that we thought would make a difference didn't. For example, um, I kind of speculated that of those college graduates that got out and uh, lived in apartment buildings, where they're around a lot of people and it would be easy yeah. for them to make friendships and share their faith, hmm. that they would do much better than someone that maybe moved into suburbia or out on a farm or somewhere away from people. You know what? Hmm. That didn't make any difference whatsoever. Hmm. Uh, we, we thought that perhaps the number of children that you had would make a difference. You know, if you have a lot of kids, then you'd need to be preoccupied with them and you wouldn't have much discretionary time for evangelism, disciple making and that really didn't mm-hmm. make a difference either. Um, hmm. There was a whole list of things that didn't make a difference, and and I tell you what did when it what it came down to. There are a lot of things that kind of rang some statistical bells, but if I narrow it down to the one most significant thing, and that is whether or not you approach disciple making as an individual or as a team. Wow. See, those who approached it as an individual uh, tended to fail. But those who did it together with other people tended to succeed a whole lot more. The Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews in uh, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 there. He says that we are to spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Hmm. And, you know, if we didn't need to be spurred on in this, The Holy Spirit would not have given us those words, telling us, get together. Don't give up on meeting together. Get together and spur each other on toward love and good deeds. And I'll just tell you, I need it. I've been a professional paid disciple maker for 40 years. And if you leave me by myself, if I get into a season of life where it's just me and my wife and and we're not meeting with a group of other people to pray for our lost friends and to pair up and, and to make a little plan about how we can have a barbecue for them or go lead a Bible study with them or whatever we might do. If if we are just by ourselves and a Thursday night rolls around and I've got a choice to pick up the remote and watch the ball game, or to go out and spend time sharing Christ, I'm gonna pick up the remote and watch the ball game. Man, do I need other people. And and I think that's what we found out is that we all we all do. That's the way God created us.
0: How have you th- inculcated this this reality that we live in a culture of individual individualism, right? we're, we're rugged mm-hmm. individualists. I mean, surely you you thought of that and how that impacts the church and those of us Christians who, you know, what we do, we want to, you know, we've we've. We go into our homes. We're by ourselves. You know, it's not. A, we don't live communally. Yeah. So how you know how have you how have you thought through some of that?
1: You know, I think it's one of those situations where you don't know what you're missing until you experience it. When you experience life in a rich community, in a community that's not just inward focused, but a community that's focused on being about mission together, being about hmm multiplying disciples together, being about seeing lives changed together. When when people actually experience that, you start to see them come alive in the way that they never have before. And they start to give testimonies like, man, I never want to live again in a lifestyle that isn't on mission together with some other people. So Mm. it's not just how to get the job done. It's how to have your heart filled with the purposes of God and the enjoyment of being on mission together with God.
0: So it's not just getting people together it, because they could get together and then be inward focused,
1: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: So now it's even a little trickier because you get them together, but then you've got to have be, be like-minded. You have to have a passion and a desire to see others brought in, and which, mean, which might mean that your disciple-making team is going to have to divide to multiply. Yes?
1: Yeah, that's right. And that um, that's always one of the tensions you face. Um, it's mm-hmm. like, wait, we were enjoying being together. And uh, <laughs> so now we've added some more folks, and we're growing, and we're multiplying. And, uh, and honestly, that's that's one of the sacrifices that we have to make at times is that we can't kind of just live in the holy huddle. Now, does it break friendships just because I, I'm not meeting with the same people anymore? No, I've got friendships that have lasted a lifetime, even though I'm not in the same group, you know, maybe that meets and, and does ministry together. Those those friendships endure. You know, really, we're adding more friendships and we're multiplying you know, I, I tell people that are considering going overseas. I say, you know, where where Jesus is uh, trying to give some incentive and some encouragement to the disciples that, hey, don't worry about giving up home and brothers and sisters and family in this life and and it, now, don't worry, you'll you'll receive a hundred times that. You know, I, I share with them that. When we stepped off the plane in Thailand in 1990, we didn't have brothers and sisters there. We didn't have homes that we'd be invited into. We didn't have any of that. And we had left our homes. We'd left our mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. But after 10 years, I had many, many more. I could go there today and be welcome into people's homes and brothers and sisters. And so, yeah, you're making sacrifices. But God is faithful to multiply through your life, and, and there's such reward in that. What a, Paul says, in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, that you know these people that had come to Christ were his joy and his crown before the Lord. And so, yep, there's sacrifices, but it's absolutely worth it.
0: And so as you wrote the book, what was the main driving point of the book? What it, so you said it's to be part of a disciple-making team. So now build that idea out a little bit because it took you, what, 11 chapters, 11, 12 chapters to say that. So just build that out a little bit.
1: First off, let's just make the the distinction between a small group and a disciple-making team. Small groups are great. And there's times when you might have a small group that's totally appropriate, nothing wrong with that. But the difference between a, your kind of standard small group and a disciple-making team is very simple. A disciple-making team has the priorities of making sure that when they get together, they spend some time doing these three things. First, they pray for their lost friends. Uh, we have a habit of taking a blue poster board anytime we start a new group, and it'll be, just be empty and uh we 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 go around and we say hey look does anybody have any lost friends neighbors or whatever that we can begin to pray for and we'll write their names on this blue poster board and we'll just pull that out every week and we'll add names and we'll pray and that's just a part of every meeting is praying because number 1 we can't do the work without god moving people's hearts but number 2 it it's a vision thing for us too to keep keep our our hearts and minds tuned Uh, into what God wants to do. So praying for the loss, number one. Number two, pairing up. We found that if you just hold people accountable, like, hey, did you share your faith this week? Or did you spend time with your lost friend? You know what that results in? More times than not, it just ends up in guilt. Like, no, man, life got busy. No, this didn't happen. And accountability by itself doesn't really work is what we found. But if you will pair up, If you'll pair up with somebody like, hey, Drew, my friend Drew, when could we go see these couple of lost friends who we know hang out at the soccer fields down by UAB? Well, let's do that Thursday evening. Let's meet up at seven, pray, and then let's go down there. So if you pair up and then you make it, that's the third P is plan. You put together a plan. So if after... You know, in every meeting, there's prayer, there's pairing up, and then the people make a plan. They pull out their calendars and make a plan of what they're going to do. That is a game changer. Very simple, but changes a small group into a disciple-making team. Yep, so that's, I mean, that's at it, at its core. Um, the book itself, you're asking about the 11 chapters, and what we do in the book is basically walking through from the vision of multiplication to why it doesn't work at times, and then move in the second half of the book into some very practical, hey, here's how you can go about evangelizing as a team, establishing, equipping, exporting disciples. Uh, And we walk through the disciple-making process and give some direction about how to do it.
0: Wow, that's, that's a lot. And you talked about the pairing up and having a plan. What I found with my group is that We got together and tell me, we we may talk about this tonight as you talk to our group, but I feel like I found a lot of people who, when they put in the spiritual multiplication group into their life, they were like either maxed or overcommitted so that when they were supposed to pair up and make a plan, there was no more time left in their schedule to do anything. And I, and I think that, you know, as you look at churches and pastors, you're listening to us in this conversation, you've got that, that 80, 20 principle going on in your church where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. But, but those 20% are the ones that you would want to put on something like this Mm -hmm. and get involved in this kind of a group. So we had that struggle, that tension, and we began to talk about how do we reorganize our lives? Because I mean, Bob, right ultimately, it comes down to what's our priority? you know what what's our priority with our life and with our time and with our relationships? so I viewed this as the first step in our church to really begin to think about, okay, how do we program as a church as as people individually and as families? what do we prioritize as followers of Jesus? I mean this really forced us to strip down everything, and to begin to think about those kinds of questions. And I would imagine you've run into this before.
1: Sure, sure. And you know that, I mean, that's just true. You know, Jesus said the greatest things we can do with our life, the greatest commands are to love God and love people. And how do you love people in any more significant way than sharing Christ with them and helping them come to the point after they accept Christ to, see their lives spent in a way that is meaningful and that gives their lives away to, to multiplying disciples. And so if we're too busy to love other people through making disciples, fulfilling the great commission, then we're just too busy. And that's, that's a very a real truth of the American experience. And we have to wrestle with those things. And again, I find that the, the way to successfully wrestle and to actually see change takes pl- take place is for me not to wrestle by myself, but for me to do that with some others. And so I think one of the most important things when churches want to implement this or an individual wants to, you know, maybe they're a leader of a small group and they want to see their small group become a disciple-making team, probably one of the the most important things I share with them is, look, when you're first getting started, don't try to convert an existing small group into a disciple-making team. Because you may have people in there who just can't do it right then. And when you get together and some people are available and some aren't available, and it can really pull down the momentum of the group. And so I just encourage, try to you know give a no guilt. Hey, look, you can uh, be a faithful disciple and really have this in your heart, but it just might not be the right time for you to jump into this team right now. No guilt whatsoever. But- To start a group with people who are available with their schedules, who are all in, Uh, to start starting in your church with a group of highly committed people is the most important thing. And the exciting thing we've seen with this is when you have, uh, and I'll tie this back into the group, uh, the organization I work with right now called Launch Global, Uh, we have staff Mm -hmm. that will join Uh, the staff of local churches and serve those local churches for the purpose of helping those local churches prepare and mobilize their congregations, members from their congregations to go to unreached people groups. And while our focus is pretty narrow on people who say, I want to go move long term to an unreached people group and plant church, share my faith, plant churches, uh, make disciples, While our focus is on that group of people, that subgroup within a church, what happens is kind of an unintended benefit is as we start helping those people prepare to go long term, part of their training is to make disciples locally. And so they they take the book, Spiritual Multiplication, and the guidebook and that they've been taken through and learned from, and they turn around and start doing that with other people in the congregation. And what happens is it starts to multiply to where I think about a, uh, I've had this experience happen multiple times, but I think about a pastor in Lubbock named Chris who, who one time said to me, said, man, Bob, this has literally changed the whole DNA of our church. And just with tears Hmm. in his eyes. And I say that not as a plug for the book, but as an affirmation of getting. One way or another, book, no book, however you do it. But getting people, giving their lives away, making disciples who make disciples will absolutely turbocharge not just your church's impact in the community, but it'll turbocharge their growth in faith and and their love for the Bible and prayer because they're forced into those things by the the activity of making disciples together.
0: And the the terminology that we chose was— that we want to make disciple-makers. It really changed the paradigm for me. And I and I would just say, let, let's just skip one part of the process. Let's not make a disciple. Let's just go ahead and make disciple-makers, yeah. because then we don't have to really think about it. And if disciple-makers will make more disciple-makers, then that's just a different way to approach it, to kind of taking out of even the equation that you could have a disciple that that really doesn't make other uh, disciples. I mean, you can, but you're also going to have you know, you're going to have a church that will just die, right? It'll just cease to exist because there's no reproduction going on. And so yeah. we've been trying to think about it that way and it was at that point that that Rob told me, "Hey, you should get this book, Spiritual Multiplication. Go ahead and read that and work through that." For pastors who are listening, Bob, what would be the process for them? And and you may feel like you've just kind of shared it, but we're, we're a hard bunch sometimes, you know, we, and and a a reason why you wouldn't want to have a small group become a disciple making group is because when they got together, they would just keep doing what they're always doing.
1: Yeah. Right. They shake it up a bit.
0: Ultimately it would, it would, it would warp right back into what they've always done. I mean, for the most part, nine out of 10 of them probably would, but when you start something brand new, right you know then then that's that's different so for us pastors especially if we've been in ministry for very long we do what we've always done and it takes a lot and i've had to like on purpose try really hard to change what i do how i think how i perceive things for a pastor who they're not really making disciples in their church right now maybe their church is 50 people maybe they're bivocational what are some doable steps that that pastor can take you know, right away sure. in the next weeks and months?
1: Sure. No, that's a great question. And let me just start with the the big paradigm, I think, that we have to work from. And this this was a shift for me because I grew up in a ministry that was a, a fantastic ministry, but the emphasis was on individual disciples trying to make other individual disciples who would make other mm-hmm. individual disciples. And that's yeah. what we saw failing so often along the way. And so I had to have the kind of the penny drop for me through this research was that the goal was not individual multiplying individual disciples. The goal was for a disciple making team to multiply to make and multiply other disciple making teams. Our Western way of thinking is to hear something like this and go, okay, I want to get my members trained in this. I'm, and what, what we've seen is training by itself just doesn't get the job done. You know, uh, when I have workers tell me overseas, a lot of times they'll tell me, you know, you see their newsletters or whatever and how many people they've trained. And when I get a chance, I'll just say, look, I'm not interested in how many people you've trained because what we find out is that you can train somebody in something and then they'll do it for a short period of time and then they'll quit doing it, okay? So it's really not that helpful just to train people in something. I say, don't tell me how many people you've trained. Tell me how many people you've teamed. Because if you team them, they'll keep doing it. Uh, There was a a number of years after the book came out and was being practiced in some different locations. And uh, I was talking to my daughter who was living in uh, Auburn, Alabama at the time. And she said, dad, I was talking to a friend who's involved in training people to share their faith and make disciples and he said, in their city in Tennessee, he said, you know, they they found out that less than five percent of people uh, will share their faith on a regular basis, uh, on a weekly basis. Definitely less than five percent. But if it, they will give them some training, they could see that come up to seven percent. And she said, Dad, I don't understand. <laughs> she said seven, and she said, if they actually do the mall model assist watch leave process. Then they might even see it go up to 12%. And the, the question is, well, for how long before it drops back down to less than 5%? Yeah,
0: and, and, yeah. and she
1: says, Dad, I don't get it. Because here in Auburn, it seems like we're seeing more than 40% at least of the people continue on though. And I said, Wow, that's, that's you know, I'm in the statistics and research. Uh, is that like a hard number where you've collected names and and kept a spreadsheet or, you know, how, where's that come to? Well, no, that's my guess. <laughs> hmm. And so I said, okay. Um, and so that launched us into some follow up studies after the book to see how it was working. And so we did a study of over a hundred people in Auburn who had been through training and then teamed up. And you know what? She was off on that 40%. Who, like, how many people continued to use the training as they were in a team? It wasn't 40%. It was 93.5% of the people were continuing in weekly mm. disciple making if they were in a team. And, wow. you know, as I shared that with some different mission leaders, I kind of got skeptical looks, Jeff. Um, it was like, no, nah, sure. Too, oh, I,
0: I feel it. High. You're getting one you getting one from me right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm like, they're like, that's too high. That can't be. And so I, I wrestled for a number of months, like, how can I help how can I help make this clear? And finally the Lord gave me an analogy that that helps people go, Oh, okay, I, I see. And that is imagine a high school track team. You know a cross country team. If we went and surveyed the the high school cross country team and said, "How many of you run every week?" and if we got a statistic like ninety three point five percent of the people on the cross country team run every week, would we disbelieve? Would we be shocked? Uh, we'd go, "Sure, oh, yeah, of course, of course." You right. get together do with it other together. people on on the team and run. That yeah, that's what you do. So. When you get together with other people in a team for the purpose of making disciples together, we don't need to be shocked that that's what they're doing. And so in answer to your question, Jeff, I think the number one thing I would just put out to pastors is, is to get this paradigm of, it's not about getting my people trained in this material. That's not the end goal. The end goal is getting them teamed, where they'll meet together on a regular basis, pray for the lost, pair up make a plan and do it together. So, that's the place to start as I said earlier, and you said, Jeff, uh let's let's not just take an existing group and try to cram this down people's throats. Let's cast vision with people and say, who'd lo- who'd like to start a new group? Who's uh feeling the Lord leading them to jump into something like this right now and start with that group. And I've done the best I can do, you know, laying out some material that'll help people uh have some some tracks to run on but certainly there's that's not needed they could do it in other ways but um but the, that's what i would say is shoot for teams and start with the most committed group you can pull together by casting vision for disciple making with them
0: bob could you give us any stories uh any narratives about a church that began to use your book and really saw some change in their philosophy of discipleship where there was actually like sustained Change in their philosophy and therefore outworking of discipleship.
1: Sure, we we've got quite a number of churches around the country and really around the world that we're working with. Um, And again, it started small, Jeff. It's been uh, you know one group. This isn't something that we kind of stand up on stage and try to train the whole church in. But it's it's a small group of committed people who begin making disciples together, and uh, over time. Uh, multiply into two groups, multiply into four groups, and and into eight. And so you've got some of our partner churches that have have been going through this process. Are like Austin Stone in Texas. I'll I'll stick with Texas today. Beamer uh, okay. in Lubbock, uh, the Village in uh, Flower Mound uh, or Dallas area. Those are you know some examples of some churches that have uh, said, "Hey, we want to make disciples who make disciples," and. You know what that serves to do? That serves to equip the congregation to really go anywhere when you do it locally. Because one of the biggest things that we've seen is these churches reach out and say, we have a heart to send our members to the unreached peoples around the world, but we don't want to send them until they've made disciples locally. And Hmm. so they bought into, let's actually teach them to do it here uh, at the local playground before we send them to the NBA, you know? And so, yeah, that's the fun thing is to see, uh, some of these churches then have their members because of a job move or something, move to different cities implant in other churches and then see the multiplication, you know, begin in other churches as well.
0: What about in churches of like 500 or less? What have you seen? Do you have any any data on that, any like uh, even anecdotal that you've heard from smaller churches that have used the material?
1: I don't think there's any real correlation between the size of a church and their success at starting to team up their members in disciple-making. We've seen most of the churches that Launch Global has partnered with have been really large churches, but we really have a heart for smaller churches. And so we've been, over the last number of years now, exploring how do we help local churches, how do we serve them better, uh, the smaller expressions. And that's ended up with us working with churches that trust one another in more of a network type situation as far as training people to, to go to the nations. But really, it's very simple, works in any context. Uh, it really starts with that first group of people who, who God's touched their hearts and, and they, they say, hey, we want to trust Him to help us be faithful in making disciples. And we're going to trust him that as we do that, it's going to multiply. And so I don't really see size as any barrier. The the question is more of the core group that gets it started and if they're all in or not.
0: Do you have any stories, Bob, of smaller churches that have taken your material and worked with it without actually like bringing a staff member from Launch Global Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. their church? Uh, but where they just started and it it really kind of turned their church around and allowed them to begin reaching more and more people. Do you have any like stories of particular small churches that have done that?
1: You know, Jeff, I get emails from people from around the country and even around the world that have talked about how they've begun using the material and it's making an impact where they are. What I what I haven't done is the follow-up research of trying to to go and really look in detail at what's going on in those locations. So I don't have okay. an answer as far, you know, though I could give you numbers or anything like that, because that's just another stage of the research that we haven't gotten to yet.
0: The answer you have given us, though, is how important it is to do it in teams. And right. when you talked right. about that, I thought, but well, well, this concept is so like, what well, was it kind of like when you saw it, you were like, oh, yeah, this was like right in front of us but we weren't really looking for it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it makes so much sense. And it can be applied across the board in so many other areas of life and business and community where, I mean, we we're always wanting to put teams together. We put teams together to accomplish stuff. That would be like, oh yeah, we put, but you've, but you discovered it through extensive research that that was the difference maker in discipleship. It's amazing to me.
1: Right. And you think about, for example, when, Um, In Acts 13, when the Holy Spirit uh, wants to put together a church planting effort, the Holy Spirit didn't call one person. The Holy Spirit called uh, Saul and Barnabas, right, or Paul and Barnabas. And then what's the first thing they did was they, they went and recruited some more people. The, the the Holy Spirit called them to lead the team, but then they went and they got John Mark. And along the way they picked up Timothy. And along the way, I mean, I've counted over, I think it was thirty-eight some co-people that Paul calls co-workers. And as you see through the book of Acts, this ministry yeah. take place. It's never Paul by himself or or you know uh, Barnabas by themselves. They're always teaming. They're always adding people to the team. And so you know, God lives in community. The, the, the Trinity works together in unison as a team. And so we, sh- of course, we're created in His image. He's created us to live and work and minister as a team. It's that, it's that fundamental and basic. But somehow, some way in our, our kind of American Western mindset, we want to approach yeah. things as individuals and we just need to go back. You know, Jesus didn't call one disciple over here and one over there. You know, he pulled them together into a group, a team of 12 uh, that he worked t- with together.
0: That's awesome. What you just said, I think is so, that's such a, such a key and it's, and it's really quite countercultural. For us American churches, because of the individualism we have in our culture.
1: And Jeff, I want to just point one thing out to the pastor who's listening out there and thinking, well, this sounds great for outreach, but I'm really concerned about the growth of my uh, and depth of the members of my church. That's really in my heart to see them grow he- he- in a healthy way, in a deep way. And I just want to say these those are not opposed to one another it it actually works together like if you will get a group of people together And challenge them to make disciples together, what they're going to start doing is they're going to bump into some opposition, they're going to bump into questions, and it's going to force them back into God's Word to search for answers. It's going to force them to their knees to pray and cry out to God. It's going to force them into greater fellowship with one another. And so it's actually the thing that accelerates personal growth and health when we stop having just the inward focus. If you focus on growth, Um, you know, internally you you may get Christian education, but you're not going to get much more. But if you focus Hmm. on outward, let's make disciples together, you're going to get both. You're going to get growth in faith and, and, and vision and, and health as people journey on that together.
0: This is a term that's overused in podcast world, but I'll say it, that is so good. That is really good. I, I mean, I remember reading at the beginning of your study guide, the beginning of your spiritual multiplication book. You made that point that it, that if you'll shoot for this, you'll get both, and that is so true. Bob, where where do people go uh, to? Where, where's your website? Uh, I know you're on a you're in a couple places. So, can give us some direction online.
1: Sure, Spiritualmultiplication.org dot org is a place that people could uh, find the resources, or just on Amazon. As far as the ministry that I'm privilege to work with now called Launch Global. If, you, if someone would like some help in mobilizing and equipping their church to send out long-term uh, what we call goers to unreached people groups, you could check out launchglobal.org, and we'd be glad to uh, see if there's some way we could help you do that. That's our heart and our passion.
0: That's perfect, Bob. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, what a privilege. Exciting to just think about uh, what God's doing around the world and to be a part of it.
0: Man, I totally love that episode with Bob. And remember what he said, don't train your people, but team your people? My friend, where are you not teaming your people in your church right now? Because this isn't just for discipleship. You know, this is a principle. This is a principle. We put teams together for a lot of things in life. For a lot of things in business, for a lot of things in the community, we put teams together, teams of people. What is the mission and purpose of your church? What's the vision right now? Well, how are you going after that mission and purpose right now? And do you are you working in teams? Do you have teams? organized and working around accomplishing your mission and your purpose. So I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to get that book Spiritual Multiplication in the Real World by Bob McNabb. It also comes with a workbook, so there's a there's a book, there's a workbook alongside of it. We used both of those. And if you went through this 10-week study, it literally takes you 6 hours a week. Now, You say, oh my goodness, six hours a week. Nobody has six hours a week to give. Um, Number one, yeah, they do because they're already spending those six hours a week doing other things that probably aren't as important and leave it up to your people to make that decision. To decide, yeah, I, I'm going to make a trade-off here. I'm going to I'm going to budget my time for the next ten weeks, and I'm going to put three hours into my personal prayer and devotional time, and my workbook and book reading time, and then I'm going to put an hour into prayer with the other members of my group. And then I'm going to put another two hours into reaching out uh, into my friends and uh, my coworkers and my neighbors and my relatives and work on spending time with the lost. That's basically how it breaks down. So the spiritual multiplication study is a serious study, but what it does is it gives people a different perspective, a bigger perspective. I would like to say a grander perspective of what they can do and how they personally can get involved in the Matthew 28 Great Commission of making disciples. And what Paul told Timothy, uh, commit these things to faithful people who are able to teach others also. And so these are some things you can do, Pastor. I I don't want you to let this moment go by uh, with what Bob had to say. Remember, don't just train. How many times do you have a class And you teach, and you're the one that's doing it, you teach, and then it it ends, and you all walk out, and where does it go after that? It's just like a Sunday morning when you preach and it ends and everybody walks out, and where does it go after that? So what if we saw it differently, and what if we put our people onto ministry teams and particularly and to spiritual multiplication teams or disciple-making teams. Disciples who make disciple-makers. So if you follow Jesus, you teach somebody else to follow Jesus, and in that teaching, you're teaching them to teach somebody else. It's just, it's all part of the, it's part of the process, it's part of the system. And it, and it would work so well. But it's a paradigm shift, it's a mindset shift, and it's a mission shift and it's a commitment shift from you and me first as leaders and pastors in our church. And here's how, I, here's how I think about it. By picturing the people in my community, they're sitting in their living rooms, it's the evening, the television's on, some worthless drivel is coming out of the TV, and they're sitting there because they're tired, they don't have a lot else to do tonight. There's there's no they have no vision for doing anything for God because they don't know God. They're people in your community, they're they're your neighbors, they're your co-workers, they're without Christ. They just need somebody to step into their life to build a relationship fueled by the love of Jesus, true love for them. Not just, hey, we you know, we want you to come to our church type of thing. No, we care about you and we're gonna spend time with you and we're going to include you you're going to belong to our group, and then at some point, you're going to believe. And then after you believe, at some point, you start behaving. But we, we don't want to mix those up. Let's allow people to belong to us and belong with us, so that that's, at some point, they can believe in the one that we believe in. And then comes the sanctification piece, where they begin to become more and more like Jesus. And that's where the that's where the behavior changes, but it changes because of new life, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life, not because we give them this list of things to do because these are the things you do when you're a Christian. No, no, they do those things because they are a Christian. And I don't even like to use the word Christian. I like to use the word Christ follower because they follow Jesus. They do it. Hey, I'm preaching to the choir now. You know all this stuff, but don't don't let the moment pass, uh, Pastor. Pastor? build those teams. Don't just train. Team. Don't train. Team. And we'll see you next week, I can't wait, on the 200 Churches Podcast.